Mari. And uh, we're from the Open Mind Space. Mm, Co-founders, the Open Mind Space, uh, Broadmeadow, Newcastle. And we decided to do a podcast because we have some pretty open-minded chats amongst ourselves. P.S. We're married, in case you didn't know that Mm. already. We thought maybe you might be interested in joining in the conversation. What do you do for work now, Murray? Now, so now, obviously the co-founder of the Open Mind Space. So I teach yoga, a Thai massage practitioner, guide people on meditations. Um, yeah, and looking to further that, so eventually will become some type of, I suppose, coaching role nice. is where I'm looking to go. Great. I personally think your story is really fascinating, not that that's bias. <laughs> so Murray has this period in his life that he calls BY before he did yoga. Um, I know a portion of that life as much as Murray's been willing to tell me, and I'll let you guide how much you're willing to share here. Mm. But maybe what was your... Can we start at like your low point? Is that too deep, too quick? Yeah, it's interesting because look, I get asked this question and so there's a few people at the moment that are asking me to share my story and what was the low point or the oh shit moment or the point where like something took place um, that caused me to change and some people refer to it as a rock bottom or something like this. Um, so for me, like this life before yoga started at a very young age. Mm. So in my, I suppose, early to mid teenage years is when I first, I suppose, um, turned to alcohol and drugs. Um, prior to that very unique child, I'm going to say unique. My parents and my teachers and my siblings may use other words, but I'm going to go with unique. I'm sure. Please comment below. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, from my point of view, and I can only share my point of view and my experience. So um, as a child growing up, I just felt extremely different to everyone else. Um, As though I never fit in anywhere. Also, even within the family unit that I lived in, it was... um, a place where I felt different to everyone else. I just, wherever I went, I never felt as though this was my place. This is where I was meant to be. Um, so you could imagine as a child growing up, not having a place to be. It's like I always wanted to be somewhere else. So it was very difficult for me to be present. Um, that came out in, I suppose, like a rebel, it could be seen as being quite rebellious and then I would be, I suppose, dealt with accordingly, and as time progressed then, I built up definitely this rebellious nature about me um, wherever I went, pretty much. I just didn't want to be a part of what they were doing, what they were doing, um, or wanted me to do, didn't interest me at all. And um, Talking about, like, school and your family. School, and family, and, like, yeah, pretty much anywhere I went. I, was, I just, yeah, felt like... That way of living wasn't for me. Um, so I was sent to see people, and these people 
would always say that there was something wrong with me. Uh, I'd be diagnosed with certain things and put on medication to adjust that or to fix me or whatever it was. And um, so as time went by, I just learned the lesson that I was different to everyone else, really. Mm. And in the end, it's like I learned this idea that I was actually bad. Like mm. there was something wrong and I was bad. Mm. Um, so I remember that in the end, it's like I just like, Put my finger up to the world and um, dove deep into this this world when I found drugs and alcohol. It was like um, when I found drugs and alcohol, it was like this relief. I found this relief from um, these false guidelines of society mm. that people were trying to make me fit into, and I just didn't. Um, so I was relieved of those sensations, so drugs and alcohol took me away from that. Um, as time went on, it just got deeper and deeper, so the, the more I stayed in this life and to continue to numb or whatever uh, word you would like to use, then I had to use more, drink more, um, dove into the world of crime and then eventually into gangs, and which eventually, very long story short, I ended up... Um, in the end, getting arrested for some top-end charges, and some drug trafficking and firearms and a few other bits and pieces. And this was only like seven or eight years ago, so maybe nine, you know, seven or eight years ago. So like 2011, 2012 Yeah, so to like my late 20s, yeah. And then, so I was arrested on these charges and still at that time, I was just like, I just didn't care. And it's just like, whatever somehow I'll get away with this and everything's going to be fine. And whilst I was in jail, um, it was put to me with all evidence pointing to me being guilty of all of this that I would be looking up to 13 years jail. Mm. And even then it was just like, it's just like water off my back. I just didn't really care too much about it. Um, and a lot happened. So from my middle teen years to the end of my 20s you could imagine being in that type of lifestyle a lot happened there was just a lot and I can go into the ins and outs at maybe a, another point because mm. you've only told me bits and pieces yeah yeah and there's a part of me that's nervous to ask <laughs> all the questions as well because there's some stories you tell me where I'm like I don't know if you're joking or not <laughs> I don't know if it's actually a story or whether you're just yeah well, definitely being in that life and hanging around with these people and being allowed to hang around with these people then, you have to be a certain person yourself and mm. they have to know who you are mm. for them to bring you into that circle. So mm. definitely at certain points I've done a lot of things that I'm really not that proud of. Mm. But it's a nature, it was the nature of the game and um, at the time that's what I believed I was worth. Mm. That's where I believed I belong. And, um, I built up this false belief about who I was in order to be able to stay in that place comfortably. Mm. Um, so again, coming back to the late 20s when I was, um, yeah, late 20s when I was put in jail, um, at some point something just went, this isn't really me mm. and I don't want to do this anymore, mm. but I think it's too late. Mm. I think that enough damage is being done and for me to be looking at that and we're in jail and then it's 
it's pointless trying to change it. Mm. So what does that feel like though? Because that, that, to just kind of realise of like, mm. oh, this isn't who I want to be, but I yeah. think it's, I think it's, I think I've done my dash. I think it's too late. I'm, yeah. I'm in jail now for potentially 13 years. Like mm-hmm. there's the opportunity to change, but now I'm surrounded by people. I'm locked up mm-hmm. with people like me. So you'd have to maintain that bravado to. Definitely. What does, what does that moment feel like? Of like Sickening. So there was definitely, it's like to be in that environment. So it's not like being in the, out here when you, if you wanted to, you could escape it for a moment. Mm. You have somewhere to get away from all of it if you wanted to. But in there, that's it. You're in it and there's no getting away from it. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That you're finished. That's where, that's where it is. Um, and definitely having to hold that front the whole time, mm. nonstop, because in there, people that I suppose aren't able to, they become easy targets and um, that wasn't a path I was going to take. Yeah. Um, luckily I was able to hold that walk that really fine line for about 12 months and um, it's a long time yeah well I've been doing it walking really this I've lived my whole life on the edge of a razor blade mm. really like and only now do I know that the whole time I was in that life that that wasn't who I was so I was, I was that whole time I was putting on a mask anyway or mm. for whatever situation there'd be a different bravado or mm. what I'll, I'll like I allow people to see in order for me to navigate that situation mm. or whatever it was um, coming at the end of it so um, given the opportunity I was released on bail under strict conditions um, because I ticked enough boxes for them to give me that opportunity mm. um, in the end so it took is that that fine line of like not getting into trouble in there, but like in the eyes of the so appeasing like the, the system, right. but also but not, not jumping ship. Yeah. So still being one of them, just not getting into like enough trouble to be noticed. Yeah. So, yeah. So and yeah, definitely at times I was walking a very fine line. It could have gone either way at any time. Mm. Um. So then getting the opportunity, strict conditions. Um, and the suffering didn't end there. So once I got out, then what do you do? Yeah. There, I had no support, really mm. very little support. Um, Which is what, and I didn't realise either, because I haven't really had, apart from you, no experience with anyone who's been in prison or jail. And you don't really think that once someone's let out, well, it's like that's... That wants to change. That wants to change, yeah. yeah what, what do they do? Yeah, what's the... Where do you go? Yeah. Because the system and... Like, I'm not going to blame the system because we all hear, like, these people that are, like, criminals or whatever. They go, the system, this, the system, that. But honestly, like, coming out of it or wanting to come out of it, I noticed that for someone in my position, you were set up to fail. Yeah, right. So, on getting out, it's like, you do one thing wrong, you're going back, Mm. but we're not actually going to give you a pathway to curve your behaviour. Mm. You're out. Figure it out. Yeah, whilst you're in jail, we taught you nothing, nothing Mm. new. You probably actually picked up a few more bad behaviours. Probably. (laughs) And good luck. But we're going to be checking up on you, like, every single day. And if we catch you doing something not meant to be, then we're putting you back in. Pretty much that's how it was. Um, So that transition, um, super painful. Probably some of the 
the most painful transition that I have, I've ever had to go through. Mm. Um, and I wasn't able to do it cleanly. It's not as mm. though I just got out and stopped all that and done, started doing all of this. Mm. So there was this backwards and forwards. like I would start moving in the direction of where I thought I should be heading then this life would drag me back. Mm. And then I'd experience enough of that and then try again then it would drag me back and there was this to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. And that's where I believe the low point existed. Mm. so I wanted so badly to change mm. and I don't know where that desire had come from mm. well I do but at the time I didn't understand it later on I was able to see that it was all divine mm. that every single thing I've ever been through was a, there was a divine um, nature to it mm. um, but at that point um, I couldn't I couldn't see it mm. um, so what can I ask, what did you go back to using when you're saying that you weren't, could do it cleanly? Yeah, so, so I would, so when I was moving this way, mm-hmm. pretty much I would just be alone. Yeah. With, and just sitting alone, with yeah. no real clue what I was meant to be doing, maybe start looking to get back into work and these sorts of things, but it's, um, it just, it just wasn't working. Yeah. Like everything I tried was very difficult, it was like this like a very big push to try and get there at any point and then um so i'll go back to what i knew because it was easy and i was comfortable and i'll be surrounded by people like mm. i would have connection and all this sort of stuff even though i totally knew it was all false mm. um, but there was some sort of comfort in in that routine mm. and then again i would move away so the low point existed right in that when i wanted so badly to change but couldn't yeah. So I was right there, it was just like this life and where I wanted to be, I was stuck in the middle. And um, I think because of that situation, so for the first time probably ever in my life, um, my ego fell away, this false bravado that I put on to everyone, that everything was okay, I was untouchable, yeah. do everything for myself, I don't need anyone, whatever it was, this macho-ness or mm. this coldness yeah. front that I've worn for so long was false. But when you wear a certain mask for so long, you know, there's this like belief, this deep-rooted belief that goes with it. So in that moment, my ego was cracked. Mm. And for the first time ever, I believe my spirit was able to shine through for just long enough for me to allow other people that may have had my best interests at mind to see me for who I really was. Mm. And then there was that connection. There was Mm. that shift, colossal shift. So when that happened, so I believe from then there was the domino effect. Like ego fell aside, spirit shone through, allowed... Like in a physical, sorry to interrupt, but in like a a real world physical sense, where were you? What were you doing? So like you're talking metaphysical, like ego dropped away and your spirit shone through, but physically what was that? Like were you sitting alone in a room? No, so at this point, um, so at this point, so when I was released from jail, um, I was directed to go straight to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre. I didn't make it there. Okay. From jail to there, something happened and I didn't get there. I turned up. How were you supposed to get there? Was someone supposed to escort you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was meant to have made my own way there. Right, yeah. okay. Um, so in that time, um, a lot happened. <laughs> so, 
a lot happened and I just went, I'm gonna go back to my original plan and just rocked up at this joint. And um, they even said like, you were meant to be here like whenever, however long ago. I was like, yeah, well, I'm here now. And it just somehow like, and this is like, I have a look at my life and there's clear moments even amongst the chaos where it was very clear to me that there was something above me just maybe just pushing that thing to the side and allowing me to get through. Like, mm. So many close calls where I was able just to go, mm. and just make it through. And this is one of them. Like, and they just went, okay, well, you're in. Yeah. I was like, okay. So, yeah, I was able to... And how interesting, because this is something we've spoken about before, because we've witnessed it in, in movies or shows, and I've asked, is that really it in terms of addiction, mm-hmm. I can call it addiction, is that you had done 12 months in jail. Yeah. You were told that you were faced with like 13 years. Yeah. You were told very strict bail conditions. Like you have to go from here to there and everything will be... Couldn't get there. Yeah. But everything, like you I'm going to call it your addiction, mm-hmm. was so much stronger that yeah. you ignored. And I think that's really important for people like myself who do, I don't, I'm not addicted mm-hmm. to anything. I have... I can clear it, see a clear stop and just don't comprehend because I've witnessed it in other people around me or in my life where they just don't, you explain the consequences to them and they get it. They yeah. fully understand the consequences of my actions, mm-hmm. but they continue to do those actions anyway. Yeah. That's probably a whole other conversation. It is because underneath that, I believe, is, so you have your addiction, whatever mm-hmm. that is, but do you need to understand that, what drives that? Yeah. So people see like the alcohol and drugs as an addiction but for where I'm sitting, I look at the rest of the world and see so many other forms mm. through food, through shopping, through social media, yeah. through sports, through... Yeah. And people say, oh, it's healthy or um, some part of it is healthy or um, maybe society just doesn't view it the same. Mm. But it's all... There is so many forms of the addiction. I... I call it numbing. Mm. So people are using an external thing to numb how they feel internally. So there's this underlying self-worth. And then once you live in that numbing state for so long, then you build up these experiences of shame and guilt. Mm. And then you're no longer numbing what it was to start with. You're now numbing the guilt and shame from all the stuff that's been happening since... That's a whole other... Com- we can do, we can do we a can whole do that podcast. One too. <laughs> yeah. There's so, a whole... All right, so you, you got... So let out of jail. You finally make your finally. way to a rehab. And... They let you in. Yeah. And still couldn't get right. Mm. And you could... So even in there, I'm pulling Swifties. Mm. Like, because I'm a career criminal, right? Like, this is what I do. I, I play a room. Like, I walk in and I can pick a target. I can work a room to get the outcome I want. Mm. I became very good at doing that. Um, so even in there I was doing it it's just like I'm here because I need to stop using and drinking and I need to learn a new way of life mm. even in there I was still doing the shuffle and mm. getting stuff brought in I was still using and still drinking in you could imagine the madness I was causing inside a place like that whilst mm. doing this and um, I got kicked out of there five times <laughs> in a year and they said, this is it, you can't come back, this is too much. Mm. Um, and this is where that's, that moment took place, where mm. I got kicked out, so I went back to what I was knew, I knew. So they kicked you out and you can't come back? Can't, can't come back. Yeah. So in breach of all my bail conditions, 
um, on the run again. Um, doing what I do again, on the way back into that life again. And um, so something happened. It was, so I'd been using like, um, like pharmaceutical medication and a bit of heroin, not, not that much, not as much as I had in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And a fair bit of meth as well. That was just always there. Um, so I was looking to get on this day. I was in, like I was getting pretty sick. And then, um, and then... Sick from withdrawals? From withdrawals, yeah. yeah. And then I finally got on and um, used and had a fair bit. And then I was driving, driving an unregistered car with no licence, um, in breach of all my bail conditions. And then sort of like went on the tilt behind the wheel, like heroin will put you on the tilt if you're lucky. Tilt meaning for us uneducated on the nod, it's like so falling that's the asleep. stone. It's not no. quite falling asleep. Okay, like, but you're on your way there. Right. And then sort of had this collision with a with a truck, and it um, it sort of just destroyed the side of the car. In that moment, I was at, I, I sat there and I could see my whole life what it was. It sort of in just like that. It just went, and I was able to see everything for exactly how it was with no bullshit, like just saw it and knew in that moment I couldn't stay there, like an accident just happened, everything that was happening around. So I left, I drove, the car was drivable, just had the mirror and the big gash down the side of it. And I left and so in that moment the shift took place. I reached out to someone that I knew that I knew would be able to help and in that moment I was allowed, I was able to allow that person to see me for who I, who I was. Mm. No dress up, nothing. And the chain of events quickly after that, it was like divine intervention. It was like in that moment, I asked for help. I asked for help for something outside of myself and it responded in a heartbeat. Literally not 24 hours later was I put into um, a program where I would be held accountable for all my behaviours. I could not get away with anything. And um, that's where the change took place or began to it wasn't an easy path Mm. like it's taken some time yeah Mm. cool yeah so you did you did that program yeah then you made your way out then I got out yeah I completed that program well done well done yes (laughs) um and that program was the who's hunter the we help ourselves program up Mm. at Cessnock um Difficult program, but probably one of the best programs going around. Um, completed that, got out, and still had so this residual behaviour behavior issue of um, really at the core of it um, was my self-worth. Mm. And I, look, there was this belief I had to be portrayed to be this macho, tough man, mm. still... Yeah. Even through all of that, you'd think it would just fall away, but no, it just stuck around. So, um, obviously, I was involved in a 12, 12 step program and um, followed all that, went through it, got to the end of it, and still there was this piece sitting right here in my chest that just wouldn't go away. Like, sure, the um, 12 steps quickly um, cleared up a lot of the wreckage. I could just go through a process of clearing a lot of that stuff away. But there was still this deep yearning for something, 
and I didn't know what it was. And, um, I was training at the gym quite often and all of a sudden that just lost its appeal. Um, I was very sensitive to what was happening around me all of a sudden. Um, just had this desire to go to a yoga studio. And I walked into a yoga studio for the first time mm. um, and never left, pretty much. Nice. Yeah. In that process, I went through um, a spiritual revolution where uh, this journey wasn't some new path. It was simply um, a process of finding out who I was, reintroducing myself to me. And, uh, mm. Yeah, finding out exactly who I am. Nice. Yeah. And then you met me. And then Renee come along. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, I don't think I would have liked you if I met you. Would have been fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's when I first saw you with your lovely tattoo. Yeah. Uh, on your face for those who uh, those are in the video you might see it but those on the podcast Murray has a small 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 upside down cross to the side of his right eye uh-huh. and when I first saw it I was just like whatever that is you can keep that to yourself whatever that represents you can just hold on to that buddy yeah and I was right but I was wrong yeah. like it does signify something but you weren't a part of that activity mm-hmm. when, when I met you. Yeah. And what's beautiful, so I spoke about the divine nature of everything that's ever happened in my life. and So I got to a point where um, I was extremely embarrassed about my past mm. and allowing people to see it was one of my biggest fears. It was like, what if they knew? What if these mm. people knew? What if they found out and I wouldn't be accepted? I, I would be like looked at differently and yeah. people will tread on shells around me but um, that was all in my mind Yeah. so once well, I go okay. once I finally um, took the step and it was actually Brene Brown mm-hmm. so I started um, looking at her stuff around vulnerability and guilt and shame mm-hmm. and how that all works um, I was able to fully own my story Yeah. and then I uh, I mentioned before there was like sequence of events throughout my whole entire life where I believed something higher than me was looking after me just even though I was deep within that world it would just allow me to move through unscathed Mm. or without injuries that bad or death or whatever it was and um, so now um, I look at my whole life as a gift as an experience now I'm able to offer my experience so I can like fully allow people to see it and it, it gives other people permission to do the same it's like oh me too or yeah um, this sort of stuff well I think um, well first of all to rewind a little bit you displayed that before our very first proper date like you said I remember you sent me a message of like there's something I've got to tell you We'd organised our like first date kind of thing, and the message was, "There's something I've got to tell you, but I'm really afraid." Mm. I remember replying like, "That's okay. You don't have to tell me anything you don't want to." And you're like, "No, I've really got to mm. tell you this." And like, you just sat down, you just laid it all out, like maybe not all of it, but <laughs> <laughs> but like the very basics of like 
this is my situation, this is my past, this is what because I Because I was still on um, court issues back mm. then. I was still on parole, I was mm. still on yeah, an ICO, still, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she married a criminal. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Thanks for sharing all of that. Most welcome. Because I know that, as you just said, for a while you've been nervous. Particularly like when you met my mum and dad and stuff, you were mm. like, you weren't sure how much you wanted to let them know or you would carry a story of like, do they know you're dating a criminal? Do they know you're dating a criminal? And I was like, well, that doesn't... I think my parents have taught me, because of our background of growing up in hospitality and pubs, my parents and, and my grandparents have run pubs that it's just you just you witness a lot and you just don't you just take people as they are and become mm-hmm. desensitized to a lot of behavior and like well yeah i think it's not so much i mean yes you witness a lot but also you accept people for who they are not mm-hmm. what society what they've done yeah what, not what they've done yeah t- definitely or what society thinks that you mm-hmm. should accept definitely um and i think on that so a very important thing that i found out through this change in coming into my own and like following my intuition and allowing that to guide me on a path to self-healing. What I found was through these modalities of yoga and meditation and a healthy way of life is that um, there's actually nothing wrong with me. I don't have... (laughs) I don't have any of these things that they were... um, diagnosing with me I don't need to be medicated um, definitely a unique unique person I'm not going to disagree with that and maybe um, I just wasn't into the stuff that they were trying to get me to do back then and that's mm. where this started it was just like no this stuff doesn't agree with me and I was not like a lot of people where you just accept and just do as you're told mm. it's just like no sorry this doesn't agree with me and you keep pushing back enough and all of a sudden you become the issue instead of Mm. everything else so I think there's a lot in that and I think um, so things are changing I know there's schools around now that are acknowledging this and like Mm. um, they do have certain things they need to teach kids but um, focusing more on their strengths than their weaknesses Mm. right yeah Yeah. well thank you for sharing your story because I think as well it's no I think I know I've witnessed how important it is for other particularly men to hear your story and acknowledge that moment that you had when you were in jail of like, oh shit, I I realise that I'm not all the masks that I've held up, but I don't know what to do about mm. it. That's a really crucial moment that um, a lot of people, but particularly men, come to, mm. and they just carry on because they don't know what to do about it. Uh. And I think it's really important that you've done it. Mm-hmm. And you can be one model of one way of going around and creating shift and change sure. in your life. And I think there's a lot of men that come here to the open mind space and a lot of men that I've witnessed it on like, for example, the um, bushwalk in particular, mm-hmm. the, we do a new moon bushwalk through um, bushland in Newcastle. And I've witnessed men walk along beside you mm. and bear themselves. Yeah. And you be able to say, yeah, me too. And all of a sudden it's okay. Yeah. And it's really nice to watch that I think in my line of work I obviously work not obviously but I work more so with women Mm -hmm. and it's really nice 
to witness men be able to have that space as well. Totally. Thanks for doing that. Most welcome. <laughs> we can introduce me in a... In a Next time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. Bye. <laughs>